Boucher. Welcome to the Space Cube Podcast. My guest today is Wayne Ellis, a space and defense consultant with AppSpace Solutions of Winnipeg. He is also the past president of the Canadian Space Society. The format today is going to be different from previous Space Cube podcasts. Instead of an interview, Wayne and I are going to discuss some of the notable current events. Welcome to the podcast, Wayne. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. It's Friday. Uh, we're recording this for next Thursday. Uh, looks like we're going to have a nice weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. But before before we get to that, uh, enjoying the weekend, we've got some things to go over. Uh, there have been some lots of interesting news of late. Uh, and, of course, one of those topics is... We have new astronauts. We have another a former astronaut now going to be Governor General. Uh, and according to a researcher at uh, York University, uh, the astronaut program has a diversity problem. So we'll delve into those three uh, areas first. So, uh, so tell me, what are your thoughts on, on our two new astronauts, uh, Jennifer Seide and uh, Joshua Keurig? Well, I mean, obviously... You know, my hat is always tipped off to, you know, these individuals that, you know, they go through, as you know, Mark, they go through the ringer um, to to get selected. And then, of course, once they become, you know, ast- well, when they're astronaut candidates and then they, they get selected, then they're astronauts in, in training and they go through a whole bunch of other types of training and exposure to the space field and industry and, and uh, right across the board. So, you know. There's no doubt that, you know, these are top-notch people, you know, that, you know, Canada has uh, picked. They've gone through a long, arduous process uh, to do so. So, um, again, I, you know, I, I tip my hat off uh, to them for being uh, uh, selected. Um, what, what I would say is that, you know, <clears throat> when you look at it on the surface, we now just have four astronauts. I mean, back in, you know, the, the 80s and, and, and so, I mean, I think at one point we had, like, you know, eight or nine uh, astronauts actually uh, to be able to choose from. Now, obviously, back then we still uh, still had access to the you know the space shuttle, and and uh, you know we don't now, and so there are some some limitations. So it kind of makes sense in, in a way to you know constrain sort of the numbers of, of of astronauts. But I mean, if you think about it, Mark, I mean, if if you were selected, uh, you know, as uh, the quarterback uh, for a Super Bowl, right? You, you you're going to be. I like you, that you, idea. You, you've got that job, yeah, you know, but you don't know when that Super Bowl is going to happen. You don't know when your team is going to going to get there, and you may you're not even playing any games potentially until get that that particular game. This is really the situation in a way that in a sense that that these individuals are now into. I mean, look at uh, you know um, Jeremy Hansen. You know, he, you know him and and David Saint Jacques. You know, they they were selected in 2009, and only David has has a, a slot in 2018, right? To go up this nine years later. After actually being selected for for the program, so I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, they 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 obviously you know punched their ticket. You know, once they got selected, and um, you know, besides being already fantastic individuals, I mean, all the exposure and 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 and, and the breadth of uh, of knowledge that they're going to gain through the, the through their training is going to you know you know do them gangbusters go, go for the rest of their lives, really. But I mean, I mean, if you think about it, just being picked for a job. That you don't really ever really know you're going to do that particular job, you know that's a it's a tough sell. Well, and but 
So, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, uh, I've written about this in the past. I mean, there was a time a Canadian astronaut was launching, you know, every year to two years. And now, as you say, you know, up until this recent astronaut uh, selection, we had two astronauts. And by the time they get selected and then go through the training and actually fly a mission, it's going to be like nine years. So, um well, this, this this is the problem, though, is that when, again, we pick these really highly qualified people and then we hold them up to young people saying, hey, here are some inspirational people for you to maybe perhaps model, model yourself behind. Well, I hope they're not really saying, like, if you want to be an astronaut, follow this, you know, follow this career path because there's really a limited pool of jobs, that, you know, that, that are available to do this. So, I mean, you obviously want people to get into uh, STEM and STEAM. But, you know, so, you know but, here's the thing. But, but here's the thing. So is, is it that um, because they're not flying on a regular basis and they're not flying? Uh, I mean, if you think about it, uh, you know, if you don't fly within eight, nine years, that's a significant portion of your life. Yep. Um, but, you know. Uh, things look like they might be changing in the next couple of years. We have, uh, you know, SpaceX and Boeing uh, that are going to be able to launch astronauts. You know, since the shuttle is retired, this will be the first time since uh, an American uh, capability has been available to launch astronauts, not to mention that eventually... If it survives budget cuts, the space launch system is, is supposed to send astronauts up as well in the U.S. So if you have these three new systems that are coming online within the next, you know, let's say two to four years, depending on which uh, system you're talking about, and all of a sudden you've gone from zero capability to having, uh, you know, multiple launch vehicles with, you know, five to seven seats per launch vehicle, um, do you think that that's going to change the equation that there'll be, you know, more Canadian astronauts that'll be able to go up? Well, I think, as you say, if those avenues do, you know, uh, you know produce themselves and they, be, they actually become opportunities for Canadians to benefit from, then yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be uh, a logical uh, idea for to see how things go, but I mean, kind of. But, but if we get back to sort of, you know, what you originally asked about in terms of, you know, sort of like, you know, the value of the astronaut program uh, to, to Canada. I mean, until that situation, you know, avails itself uh, to us, the the the, the real the, in reality, you know, the, the astronauts when they are hired, they're hired probably as the government's top space evangelists, you know. Really, right? Because I mean, they, they come in, and you know, I said that you know they, they get, you know, uh, it, I mean, they probably already know a whole bunch of stuff about space, but then they get you know taught a whole bunch of other things, and then and then they they're basically put on tour, right? And then in amongst all their training, you know, they they then are you know exposed to all this experience, and then they bring this experience, you know, again, not yet in space yet, but they they bring this experience and knowledge uh, to Canadians through various types of of, of venues and and, and events. I mean. I'm sure you are aware of how hard it is, how difficult it is to try to, um, you know, reserve or schedule you know, even one of the astronauts in, in training in order to, you know, to come to an event. I mean, luckily, they're well managed and, and you know, they, I think they eventually they, they come out to most of the, uh, the, the main events. But uh, it, it, is, it is definitely a challenge and, and that is really, in a sense, becomes their, their, their primary role. So um, now, are, you, are you saying we should question the value of the astronaut program? Well, I think the, the the problem is is 
let's look at maybe the Jeremy Hansen uh, situation, even with the David St. Jean situation, we still don't know yet exactly what he's going to do on that mission, right, uh, in, in, in 2018. So we know it'll probably be a number of different types of experiments, probably. Well, there, are, there are certainly uh, experiments that he's been, uh, that have been announced uh, and that he's sort of training for, which is, you know, what they do on the space station. I mean, they're basically up there uh, conducting science. Exactly, and, and and don't get me wrong. I mean, I know it's all good science because it's just been. It's the, the, these things are planned to the, you know, the the nth degree, right? To, to, to the know, to make sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, to make sure that Canada is going to benefit from that activity, right? That that you know, and and, and I, I think that you know the, the Canadian Space Agency, uh, you know, let's say the government of Canada, and we have. They, they have done it smartly, I think, in a, in a lot of ways, where they they the benefits that the astronauts. Um, sort of bring forward from these missions to, you know, the ISS or, or, or whatever, is that they tend to be almost twofold. You know, they're, they're, there's, there's, there's benefits uh, that, uh, you know, may come towards terrestrial side for, for, for us. And then there's also the benefits that may be for, you know, how do we ensure that, you know, uh, future astronauts and maybe those that are going to go to Mars or, or whatever, they can do that in, in the most uh, safest, safe possible, uh, safest means possible. So, should we have an astronaut uh, corps or, or not? I mean, well, that is again is is, is a great example. Of, you, you, you're asking a great question because when we look at our space program, or you ask maybe the average uh, Canadian, what, what what is the space program? The first thing they're probably going to say is Chris Hadfield, or you know the you know ISS, you know Mark Garneau, or, or whatever, because. Those are the images. Those are the icons that we actually put forward. I mean, so you have the astronauts, and then you'll have like a Canada Arm, uh, too, or Dexter, or, or or whatever. But I mean, those are really the, the main things that sort of come forward uh, for 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 the average Canadians of what really space kind of means. Even though, from a GDP perspective, whatever, you know, really not really uh, a significant contributor, right? They're they're almost more of a, you know, sort of a political you know, quid pro quo or whatever. I mean, um, but I mean, don't go ahead. But, um, you know, when an astronaut gets selected and in particular, when they're going to go to the space station, one of the benefits that comes from it, uh, not including, you know, the public side of, you know, going out there, meeting the public, talking about inspiring uh, younger generation, um, is the fact that they're actually going on orbit to do science, to do research. And, um, from what I understand, one of the benefits to having Canadian astronauts is that by having a Canadian astronaut go to the space station, it enables Canada as a nation to do more science and research that Canada thinks needs to be done. Uh, in particular, you know, no, I, we've I done agree. a lot of research I, I in the medical you know, side of things. We always want to make sure we take advantage of any opportunity to have a seat at the table an actual table or if that table is on the ISS, you know, doing, you know, real, real experiments that are going to have a, you know, that their results are going to have a real impact on, on, on Canadian lives. I mean, that really is, is, is their role. That's really why they're being hired to, to, to you know, to, to, to be astronauts is, is to provide that benefit, you know, back to, uh, back to Canada. But I think, you know, the reality of the situation is, is that they know there's a lot of unknowns of when they're going to be able to do that primary job. And so in the interim, they have to be, you know, as I say, these space evangelists, you know, very, very knowledgeable space evangelists um, to, to, to communicate that benefit uh, to, to Canada. And of course, you mentioned Julie, Julie Payette, uh, who as we know, is going to be the next uh, governor general again. I mean, great pick, you know, highly qualified person, you know, former astronaut, business person, 
has had a, a lot of uh, continued interactivity with uh, the public uh, for, again, as you say, inspiring uh, people. I mean, in a way, you, you almost say on the surface, you know, the, this current Trudeau government is, is seems to be very space friendly. I mean, you know, they, they, they reestablished, you know, the Space Advisory Board and, you know, they they put the uh, – the, the, um, Competition out for the, the the two new astronauts, and then and then they announced them on on Canada Day uh, of our 150th Canada Day uh, of of all times, and then yeah, you but know, you know then, what? I, I think uh, most Canadians uh, on Canada Day aren't going to remember, or I should say, some Canadians, especially where you are right now, which is Calgary, uh, aren't going to remember Canada Day for the announcement of the astronauts, but for the <laughs> Prime Minister's gaffe of, hey, uh, I forgot Alberta. I'm I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. But yeah, that, that's right. You know, but you know, I mean, I don't think and, it's a big deal. But there are some people out there who, 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 who are pushing the notion that it was actually done on purpose, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but you're right. I mean, you know, uh, it was a big deal, uh, especially for these two individuals, Jennifer and Joshua, to become uh, to be announced as Canada's next astronauts on Canada Day, uh, and not just any Canada Day, but the you know the 150th uh, celebration of Confederation. Um, but uh, so you think Julie Payette is a is a is a good choice for for Governor General? I, I've I've only seen her uh, speak once, and that was uh, for a lecture at uh, uh, the Perimeter Institute in in Waterloo. Um, I, I read online that one of her previous professors called her extremely intense. Um, what I found was a person who was uh, really good at communicating with an audience. So uh, I think uh, I think uh, I'll go with the consensus. That she'll make uh, a good governor general. Yeah, and I, again, I, I agree as well. I, I think she's definitely got the background and the, the talent and the expertise uh, to take on that, you know, that type of job, which obviously has a lot of um, requirements uh, to it. And you know, in, in almost a sense, it's it's totally separate from. You know the fact that she was an astronaut. I mean, the the fact that she was an astronaut just means that she's recognizable. You know, to to the average Canadian. You know, to, to you know, I would average. I would I would almost bet that you know the the previous uh, governor general, or also our, our current governor general, was probably was not recognizable to, to the majority of uh, of Canadians uh, as compared to uh, Julie Payet. So, did you know who he was before he was selected? I want to say no. I actually I, I actually did know of him because I have a, uh, a friend uh, who I grew up with who uh, whose father worked at McGill for many 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 years and and so uh, worked with him so um, okay uh, before we move on to the next topic uh, I, I just have to bring this up because I, I was a, a little surprised Um after we have this announcement to new astronauts, uh, there's this uh, opinion piece in the Toronto Star from Jordan Bim, who's a PhD, PhD candidate in science and technology at uh, uh, York University. And he basically said uh, Canada has a diversity problem, or the, sorry, the Canadian astronaut program in particular uh, has a diversity problem uh, in that uh, all we've selected are Caucasians. There have been a few women but no visible minorities have been selected. You have any thoughts on that? 
Well, I guess my first thought would be is that just because you identify something as a problem doesn't mean it's actually a problem. Um, I mean, you can look at almost any situation and say if it doesn't really match up to your view of the world or where the world should be, then you say, well, that's a problem. Eh, I mean, I, I'm, I don't really subscribe to, the, to that view. Um, I, I guess in a way I, I kind of look at it as like, you know, yes, I guess in a way it would be nice if there was a little bit more diversity. I think we're I think, in a sense, Canada is moving in that direction that eventually the institutions uh, and, and organizations and, and it, that essentially produce us, right, over time, you got to give and you got to give them time. Over time, they're going to produce that diversity, right? I mean, there's like there's but, almost like four like thousand candidates, right, that they had to pick from. Yeah, so. and, and it's not just that. I mean, uh, you look at this and you're saying, well, okay, in the past, you know, there was an astronaut class in in 1992. There was an astronaut class in 2009, and then, of course, in an astronaut class this year. Since that, after that astronaut class was selected in 1992, in that time, 25 years, there have only been four astronauts selected. So of those four astronauts, three were uh, men, one was a woman, and, of course, they were all Caucasian. I, you know, I, I, I've, yes, there should be more diversity, but... I find it, you know, are you going to pick somebody just because they're a minority for this position, Uh, you know, when you're selecting one or two people every eight, nine years? Uh, I don't know. Um, oh, you can't. I mean, you cannot do that. I mean, you 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 have to, in a way, go into these in these processes as as, as being, you know, colorblind or genderblind or or whatever, because otherwise you're tainting the process, right? I mean, right. you want. I mean, the, the the jobs hopefully have very specific uh, requirements uh, that are uh, lightly against them, and so as long as whatever gender or or background of candidates comes comes forward, if they they score well in all in all those those well in the categories that that matter. That's what really should matter. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're you're after the two best possible candidates out of thousands of people that have applied. That for an opportunity that comes up every eight or nine years, it's it's difficult. Uh, I saw the you know the final seventy two candidates, which the uh, the CSA posted on their website. You know, I think it was forty some odd percent were were women, uh, some somewhere around there, uh, and I think there was like I think I saw maybe four people that were a visible minority. Uh, um, so I, I don't know where Jordan was coming from picking this particular issue to, to come up with a diversity problem. But uh, well, I, I was actually a little bit surprised. I mean, I, as a former military person, you know, if you look at you know the, the astronauts that have picked so far, I mean, there is a very strong percentage of, of military people that uh, are, are, are picked for this job. Well, why is that? Well, I guess, you know, a lot of times they have uh, a lot of the training and intense training that is required for, you know, the you know procedures and stuff that have to be done on the shuttle or on, on, on the ISS or, or whatever. So, I mean, the, the, the skill sets are, are similar, right? But, I mean, I mean again, that could... That, They're as good well, at taking could, orders. Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you're right. I mean, every single astronaut class, I believe that Canadian astronaut class has had at least one uh, member from the military. And of course, uh, of the last four selected in the last two rounds, right, two have come from the military. So that that actually doesn't come as, as a surprise. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so anyway, so I mean, again, for that diversity story, uh, I, I think, yeah, it, maybe it was an observation that that somebody made. Is does it have a lot of weight to it? I I don't think so. 
Okay, so moving on from uh, astronauts to the Space Advisory Board. So uh, we have a Space Advisory Board that was selected in April. Um, Everybody uh, within the industry uh, that I'd discussed this, was expecting this to happen in January. It took the government several months to actually uh, make the list public. Um, And then when they did, they basically gave them a month and a half to do a nationwide consultation. Uh, And of course, they went to... um, uh, seven. Uh, they had held seven in-person consultations across the country, two uh, virtual consultations. Uh, between those nine, uh, there were 183 people that participated. Um, I'm told by uh, my sources that the report that was actually submitted by the Space Advisory Board to the minister uh, may be... Uh, Uh, become public and perhaps sooner rather than later, which would be great. Uh, That would give everybody an opportunity to, 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 to see what the uh, space advisory board uh, came up with. So the Uh, first report or the revised report? uh, You, which first report you're talking about? Well, uh, well, I guess I'm sort of tongue in cheek. I'm wondering like, okay, so they'll submit a a first report to uh, the CSA or, or I said, and does that is that report then going to get revised before it becomes official? Like, as I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see what what the advisory board actually came up with, you know, external to uh, you know the, the the government or the or the CSA's uh, mandate or, or direction. I mean, maybe maybe it is the same 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 report, but I, I guess that's what I, the question is for you, I guess. Well, no. So the this was an independent report. And it didn't go to the CSA, it went to ICED. Um, so, uh, th- and, and that report was submitted a few weeks after the consultation process was uh, completed. Uh, it hasn't been uh, made public yet, but like I said, it, from what I've heard, it could be public and sooner rather than later, which would be great. Um, and of course, you know, the minister had, had said all along that the, that the announcement uh, uh, of a new space strategy, which was what this consult consultation was a part of, would would happen in in June. Well, as we found out, that wasn't going to happen. Uh, and my understanding, as I've written about, is basically because uh, two things: <laughs> one, uh, they received a lot more input than they expected. Two, when the draft of the space strategy was circulated, that people who had read it, some people who had read it, uh, you know, just didn't like it. Uh, the feedback, some of the feedback was negative. Uh, and, and part of that feedback was because, well, it's a high level document that actually didn't deliver any concrete action. And so the, uh, although it's never been officially said that the, uh, strategy was being delayed, we're now mid-July and it hasn't come out, so it's pretty obvious that it's delayed, uh, and it's delayed till the end of the summer, uh, possibly the beginning of the fall, and supposedly that will give the, the government enough time to do what it sort of was going to do from what I understand, which was come up with, with a high-level strategy document, a uh, new space strategy, and then in the fall come out with a concrete piece of action. Now those two will then be 
combine potentially and all happen at the same time. This is speculation based on what I've heard from different people within the industry, but that that's where we're at with that. Um, you, you, did you participate in the uh, any of the consultations, write something in or – well, I, I I was hoping to. Um, I, I think at the at the start of the of the process, Winnipeg actually was one of the listed uh, cities, you know, to, to to host a a consultation, you know. But between that time where I, I heard that, the next thing was I got an email from from the you know the board, you know, inviting me to a session in in Calgary. That's and, right. I remember that it was there was supposed to be one in Winnipeg, and it got moved to Calgary. Yeah, so I mean, again, I mean, Winnipeg gets miffed for a lot of reasons, you know, and that was just kind of like one more as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, be it as me, you know, I say, hey, I, you know, I think hey, it was a, it was a time constraint where they they wanted to go across the country, but they were really constrained for time. They were trying to do at least one consultation a week. They had to write up a report, so I think they combined the prairies, uh, you know, Winnipeg uh, and Calgary meetings into one. Well, okay, well, that's fine, but I mean. They also had two sessions in Toronto, so you know I don't I, I, I'm not sure. What, well, the reason the, the the reasoning behind that, from what I was told, was that there were so many people that wanted to come to, and and that wanted to come to the Toronto session that they didn't think that in the time allotted, which is like two hours or whatever, an hour and a half, that they'd be able to hear everybody at one session. So they actually decided to break it into two, so that there would, it would be manageable, is what I'm trying to say, because there wasn't that type of. Uh, um, Response from the other cities in terms of total numbers of people that wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know what you're saying makes perfect sense. So I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it uh, uh, is that way. So anyway, so you know, so the answer to your, your question is I was was hoping to, but you know, again, I wasn't able to you know fly out to Calgary for uh, for that particular session. I actually it was in Toronto, I think, for one of those days. Uh, but then you know, I was got to look at my invite. I said, well, was my invite really good for any session, or was it only really good for that Calgary session? And of course, I was on business, so I you know I didn't really kind of follow up on it uh, anyway. And you know, we you know. Yeah, I knew there was going to be plenty of, of representation from the Canadian space community anyway, so adding my voice or, or, or presence wasn't really going to make uh, much of a difference uh, anyway. But, I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean, the first thing I think I you know, obviously want, should, should acknowledge is, you know, this new space advisory board, you know, yeah, they, they definitely got, you know, their work cut out for them, as you say. You know, they, they basically kind of got announced, and then boom, they, you know, they had a, a hard requirement uh, put on to them, which then, of course, you know, the, the output of that has been uh, delayed. So, you know, they are, you know, in, a, in a way, you know, trying now to operate, you know, as a cohesive group, you know, you know, connecting with all the various stakeholders and, and get, gathering all, all that uh, that information. In, in a sense, they're dealing with their own kind of big data uh, problem, right, for having all of that input uh, come in that they have to kind of uh, sift through. I mean, I mean, if you look at sort of the um, – you know the output of of the various consultations that you know are on on online and stuff. I mean, there are a fair number of of similar themes. I think that they're you know they're 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 hearing right, and and that are probably going to find their way uh, into uh, the into the report. Uh, but I mean, I mean, really, what it comes down to is you know having an advisory board is is a good thing, but it's that actual document you know and 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 and. and what is the, what is the uh, lifetime uh, or half life, I guess, of that of that document once it comes out? Um, because is it t- now then going to be tied to the Trudeau government's uh, longevity? Assuming so, they, you're you're right. And and there's a couple other points that that I should make clear to to 
to our listeners is, and that's that the notes and everything that you see on the Space Advisory Board website, those notes, uh, the top idea. So it was, it was the actual each meeting was broken down into areas of focus, and then they there were notes made of that, and then there were the top ideas and outcomes. All of that was collated by Industry Canada. So, but the report that was written and submitted to the government, that was actually written by the actual board itself. So what's online and what's actually in the report, there could be lots of synergies, but there could also be some things that, you know, the board uh, heard that I said maybe didn't hear or interpreted differently. So we won't know until actually that document, uh, if it's released, um, uh, is is made public. Um, (laughs) Now... and, 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 you know, as I said, like, you know, in a sense, because, because, you know, again, from the feedback, you know, what you hear is, you know, long term strategic plan, you know, stable funding. I mean, these are things, you know, that, you know, has been out there and are brought up all the time. Right. And, and, and in a sense. That, that that is probably one of the main things I think that will have to get addressed uh, out of this uh, you know out of, out of this process is 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 can there be something put in place that can survive um, you know one government to to the next right? and I think that's uh, that's a really important and unfortunately though <laughs> I don't have much faith in in something like that happening because uh, history itself has shown that when a government comes in. Uh, they have their own, a new government comes in, they have their own thoughts. Uh, when the conservative government came to power, uh, what was it, 2006? Um, Steve McLean was brought in as the, the new uh, president of the Canadian Space Agency. And in the announcement, they said we were going to come out with a, you know, he was being tasked with coming out with a new long-term space plan. And of course, history shows us that he did meet with stakeholders. They did put together a long-term space plan, which was never released publicly, and which when the government had a look at and, and you know, a conservative government had a look at and said, you want how much money to do what? You know, it got shelled. So, uh, it, you know, each government is different. But I will say that, um, you know, this liberal government um, and other liberal governments as well in the past uh, aren't much better when it comes to um, funding uh, than uh, the conservative government. So uh, it, it doesn't really matter which government uh, seems to come into into power. Uh, support for the space program is there, but it's not there where the community, uh, to the extent that the community uh, wants it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, and, 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 you know, I guess now, I mean, when, when you you know say the word uh, innovation, it's, it's not now almost kind of become one of those kind of buzzwords that you 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 kind of people just kind of throw out and, and say, well, we got to be innovative and or we need more innovation. Well, the thing is, is is that, that's probably be the one thing I'd like to see. You know, again, that comes out of this report is like, you know, c- could the government be innovative enough to set up uh, a process or I don't know a situation or an architecture where that stable funding is is provided and it's and it's and it's provided maybe to the csa maybe it's provided to an arm's length organization maybe like uh, your your financial advisor right you provide money to your financial advisor financial advisor uh, takes that he knows what your goals are he knows what your objectives are uh he's got guidelines on what he's supposed to be do with your money he invests your money and you get outcomes uh, from that maybe maybe that's the kind of innovation we really sh- should be looking for you know that 
you know, it would be nice to see, right? Because because at least then, well, actually, the first thing that we have to really kind of look at, even before we have that kind of architecture in, in place, is what should be the the right amount of annual funding that should be going in, in, in into space, right? I mean, I think we all agree there's not enough, right? There's just there's always not, not enough, not enough, not enough. Um, I, I, yeah. I think there's an important point there in that I don't think a lot of people realize because um, it hasn't really been discussed uh, to any great length, and that is that, you know, 1999, the CSA's base budget was set at uh, uh, 299 million, right? Uh, yeah. I'm trying to, yeah, 299 million. Um, and then uh, um, a few years ago, um, a few years ago now, more like five, six years ago, uh, the Conservative government changed that base funding down to 260 million. So, you know, take into account inflation, the rest of it, not only has the, you know, the civil space program had a its base budget uh, cut, but, you know, taken to inflation, it, it's actually been cut quite a bit. So you then add on top of that the programs, uh, new programs that come along like RadarSat Constellation Mission, and um, it does seem like that there's, you know, more happening than than there is. So, uh, you know, that was one of the uh, uh, ideas that came out of the consultation was uh, stable funding. And sure, you have stable funding, but it's stable funding that's getting smaller, <laughs> Um, and the Liberal government, since it's been in power, hasn't actually uh, done anything to, to remedy that. And so this is where, you know, space communities put a lot of, uh, uh, you know, thought into, you know, what's going to come next and participated once again uh, in, in, in another consultation. And is anything going to come out of it? There's a lot of anticipation, uh, you know, for what's going to happen next. And, and so I suppose there's pressure on the government, you know, uh, are they going to be able to deliver anything that's going to satisfy uh, the community? What do you think? Well, again, let's go back to that three hundred million dollar number that you you you've cited. And you're right. I mean, it's kind of been hovering hovering around that amount for for years and years. And then compare that to, and some people say, no, you can't make this comparison. But compare that to the annual amount that NASA gets. Right. I mean, I think this year they're around nineteen or twenty billion. Okay. Nineteen. Yes. Sorry. Nineteen. Nineteen billion. Right. U.S. billion. Uh, absolutely. You know, the U.S. is a much larger uh, country. Uh, they are, have their fingers a whole lot of, uh, of, of pies, um, and they also have a lot, much larger tax base. Uh, but, I mean, if you want to really, you know, take it to the simplest level, why why can we not? If we're like, say, if we're like 10% population-wise of, of, of the U.S., why can't we use that as a marker? Say, let, let's, let's spend 10% of, of what they spend. That would be $2 billion, or, yeah, almost $2 billion. I've made that argument in the past, and, and people don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, again, I, 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 I sort of put myself on like, well, it, maybe it's really time to really start. We really start to do something different and and kind of get out of this this mold that we we, we seem to be stuck in, uh, and 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 we go around these circles, around these circles. I, mean, uh, and, 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 I think it, I think it'll take a concerted effort by the space community to really. Uh, have Canadians understand what it means uh, to have a space program. Um, and, and when I say space program, I don't just mean civil, there's military, commercial aspects. Um, how that if, you know, people understand that, 
yeah, it affects their lives, but I don't think they truly understand how much their lives have changed since we've gone to space with telecommunication satellites, doing everything we do with Earth observation satellites. Um, I, I don't think they banking. They, I don't think they quite get that yet, and, and, and the government understands it. They they certainly understand it now, but they're still not willing to put more into it. Well, and, and to be honest, you know, for, for the amount of years that I've been looking at the, the space industry and the, and the space community, I still really don't understand it. Uh, I mean, I think there could be a case to be made that, yeah, the CSA has a $300 million you know, dollar budget, but then if you look at a whole government approach, well, there's space, you know, there are dollars that go sort of to space activities and under the defense, uh, defense uh, portfolio. And Absolutely. Some go into, you know, to international resources or fisheries. So, I mean, so, some of those are not really... I mean, as you say, they're not really visible to the to the average uh, Canadian, um, and 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 maybe under a new approach where say you you did want to sort of allocate stable, realistic funding to space activities, you probably have to you know your first study would be okay. Well, where where are all the the dollars going that that actually are going into uh, space? I mean, whole of government is is actually a great low risk. Uh, um, option, right, or is, is it a perspective to, to, to take? Because, as you say, there are lots of things about space that, that ordinary Canadians just they just don't appreciate. So the fact that you can maybe leverage those kind of dollars in amongst a number of different uh, d- d- departments and and then get at the same uh, capabilities is really probably what we should be doing. And I, and I think in, in probably over the last you know six or six or seven years, that's you know there has been sort of a, a thrust to, to to do that. But you know again. The dollars have to be more. I mean, I don't know how long or how, how often, you know, the experts, the state, the stakeholders have, have to say it's not enough, it's not enough, enough. And, and let me just back up for just for a second, okay? I'm actually really one of those people that, <laughs> you know, I, 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 don't, I don't like just to hear people asking for more funding just for the sake of saying that we need more funding, right? I mean – Obviously, I mean, these are these are your tax dollars or my tax dollars. You know, I you know, hopefully you and I both pay them every year as as, as we should, and they're going to go, you know, to lots of things that the government's going to do. You and I both know, and and again, the the there are documents that support it that the return on investment of those space dollars they are very comparable to other areas of investment. You know, and and in some cases where the government actually gives money away and we never get any anything back, right? So. It really shouldn't be that hard to make the case, say, you know what? You give us, the space community, an extra $200 million a year. That's nothing. That's not $2 billion. That's just, that's just another $200 million, say $500 million a year. And we'll, we'll invest that, you know, based on your guidelines. And these guidelines, they should be, they should be universal. They should be timeless. Right. You know, that, you know, so, so any, any government can't say, well, well, yeah, of course I support so- sovereignty. And of course I support, you know, environmental protection. And, you know, and, and, and this entity that, that gets this guaranteed stable amount of funding they invest it. They work with the various uh, stakeholder communities, and and they, they maybe and they can get fired after ten years. You know, it's right. like like. We'll, we'll we'll get to one of those uh, potential initiatives in just a second, but I just want to bring up one last thing with res- with respect to the uh, outcomes and ideas from the uh, space advisory board consultation, uh, and that's this thing of. Um, uh, which came up many times, which was update and modernize legislation and regulation. Because um, even though, let's say, for whatever reason, the government comes out, puts money into programs, um, new funding into new programs, one of the issues that we do have, and I've talked about in previous podcasts, uh, is a regulatory framework with respect to uh, how we license 
certain uh, activities, in, including satellites, uh, ground stations, and so forth. Uh, and, you know, the regulatory framework is not keeping up with what's actually happening in the real world these days. And the other thing is, when we talk about funding, well, you know, organizations like Global Affairs Canada are actually uh, have lost funding in um, from the previous government to actually deal with some of these things. And so we're finding that when it comes to uh, licensing, uh, something that should take, you know, six months at best uh, is taking uh, not only a year, but maybe two years before something gets done. So I think that's part of the problem, too, that the government needs to realize that in their own house, there needs to be some effort there so that when businesses do try to do something in Canada, that that regulatory framework is capable of dealing with what's actually happening in the real world today, and they can also deal with it in a timely fashion. Well, there's no doubt that, you know, for a lot of the innovative ideas that are coming forward, like space mining, and, and you know, we'll talk about the satellite servicing, I mean, these are things that they're going to be revolutionary. Uh, I think their time has come. But there are real deep concerns about, you know, how they can be, you know, managed and we'll say regulated, you know, so that, you know, you know, people don't end up in jail or, or you know, being fined, you know, millions, millions of dollars. The problem is, of course, is and you're right to say that, you know, that, that the government needs to get on uh, these regulations. And, and, and the problem is, is as soon as you start looking at the uh, the regulatory uh, framework and it, you, you, that is an immediate push to uh, navel gazing as, as far as, uh, you know, space activities moving forward, because, it's, you know, my facetious uh, view on, on the way the government, uh, not, not just this government, even previous governments uh, seem to operate is if they have an opportunity to push something down the road so they don't have to spend any dollars today, but they could, they could still say it's a priority, but they're just not going to do anything about it today, they'll do it, right? And, and, and you know, pointing to, you know, having to set up some kind of process to renew the laws and, 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 and that framework would be just one other way to slow down the process and, and really, in a sense, defeat uh, innovation. Now, because you mentioned licensing, and, and I don't know if you were going to bring it, you, I think you mentioned it uh, before, but, you know, a good example of that is, um, uh, you know, the Maritime Launch Services uh, Endeavor for uh, Nova Scotia, right? Because, uh, you know, my understanding is that they're hoping, I mean, they're not a, they're not a Canadian company, they're, they're U.S.-Ukrainian, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, conglomerate, and but they're hoping to break ground in Nova Scotia in, in 2018. Well, what are they waiting for right now? They're waiting for the environmental regulatory process of Canada to, you know, to, to affect itself uh, before they can get to the next stage. Now, that process is obviously very, very important, right? I mean, we, we obviously want to protect our environment and, and, and make sure we do everything we can uh, to do so. But, you know, is the Canada, is, is Canada doing all it can, it can to make sure that that process is going as fast as possible? I don't know. Well, that's a, that's a fair point. Uh, and I think maybe that's why they've built in a year from the time that they went public about what they wanted to do to when they said they would uh, break ground to actually get all of those things uh, in order. Um, but, you know, when you talk about regulatory f- framework, I think uh, the one issue that I'm obviously uh, alluding to is the Remote Sensing Space Systems Act uh, and that uh, the review was just concluded by the uh, Institute of Air and Space Law at McGill uh, and it was a comprehensive review. You can find it on, well, 
you can find the link from our website, spaceq.ca, to to the government website because it's actually buried within a page on the government, which just recently just changed as well. Um, And there's been no public mention of it. Um, My understanding is, because I have received emails in exchange with Global Affairs Canada that they're ongoing review of this, but there was a lot of... uh, a lot of issues that came up out, out of this um, review by McGill, and uh, and you know this is where some of the things that they're talking about, you know, they're not really they shouldn't take too long to to address. Uh, and when I say take too long, I don't mean months. I mean you know a year or whatever uh, to address these things. But they do need to be addressed. And in the previous review, which they had done five years previously, the, the issues weren't addressed at that point either. So there's a bit of lack of you know government movement on this. Uh, and and there definitely needs to be some movement. But anyway, we, we've got to move on to to, to our next topic. So because um, we have a few other topics to discuss. Um, so Innovation Superclusters Initiative. Uh, when this came out, I was uh, going, wow, this sounds really interesting. Um, it's $950 million, a lot of money, uh, of funds that are going to be available from between 2017 to 2022. And it's going to fund maybe five superclusters ranging from $125 million to $250 million. Um, uh, as soon as uh, it came out, I said, well, I wonder if the space community is going to be interested in this. Obviously, the AIAC um, has been interested. The Canadian Space Commerce Association was also uh, interested in this. Carrick uh, was interested. Um, but I, I was wondering, would somebody just... Uh, tag on to another supercluster, let's say an aerospace one, and I've heard that there's one uh, from Montreal uh, that's underway, uh, proposal that is, uh, and would there actually be a dedicated one for space? And it turns out that there is. I wrote about it earlier this week. It's Ryan Anderson, who, who you know, uh, his company QShift. Uh, he's previously worked for years at uh, Telesat, and he's come up with this proposal for Satellite Canada. Um, my understanding is he's got well over 10 organizations committed to it now, including some universities, uh, and over $125 million in funds committed. So, And of course, it would be focusing on the satellite sector, upstream, or uh, downstream, uh, communications and earth observation. Uh, And he said he was taking a new space approach. What are your thoughts on, on, first of all, the innovation supercluster idea, and will a space uh, supercluster actually get some traction. Well, I'm I'm gonna admit that you know my knowledge about clusters or superclusters is 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 really quite uh, limited uh, beyond really what was uh, reported uh, by you and uh, you know by the the government of Canada. Obviously, somebody brought it forward. They must have saw an example of it somewhere, probably in, in the U.S. or or something, saying, "Hey, this actually could be a good idea to sort of connect you know the the main." stakeholder categories, you know, industry, uh, government and uh, academia and uh, have them sort of, you know, interact more, you know, leverage uh, their various uh, capabilities and, and, and whatever. So I think on the surface, I mean, a $950 million sounds good. Um, you know, you know, that they want to, you know, that the possibility there could be a space uh, supercluster is, is, is a good thing. But I think what it kind of comes down to it is um, how confident are we, you know, that, 
the various key category stakeholder groups uh, are, are going to be able to, to, to work together. Um, I, you know, I'm not clear on, you know, if you have a group, let's just say like Sally Canada, uh, and, and they're able to get, you know, a, a consortium of, of, um, of those groups to, together to bring that, you know, the, the pony up money, I guess, uh, forward to qualify for the other uh, bit of money. Well, from that point, how how is the how is the cluster managed, right? How do you how do you manage the diverse, uh, let's say, needs and requirements of of you know academia versus industry versus government? They you know, they are very di- they have very different uh, goals uh, and, and objectives, right? And, and and each one of them you know wants to get their their piece of a pie. So 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 on the surface, yep, super cluster sounds sounds great. I mean, you put super in front of anything, sounds good, you know. Uh, <laughs> but maybe in operation, it might might be a, 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 a bit more of a challenge. That being said, yes, I know Ryan very well. That man has uh, plenty of ideas, and he's he's a, he's the best person to be pushing this uh, um, initiative uh, forward. Uh, he as well, I think, will have his his work uh, cut out for him. Uh, but I think just the fact that he is taking this initiative, uh, uh, you know, on, on his on his own and is pushing it and making it public, and if we can help him with that, that's even even better. I think that's going to stand it uh, in, in in a good stead for or at least in, in, increase his probability of success. All right. We'll leave it at that. Uh, Other than that, I'll mention that one of the interesting things about the program is that, which I didn't mention, is that, you know, this is matching funding. So if you bring 125 million, if you're asking the government for 125 million uh, dollars for your super cluster, you actually have to come to the table with 125 million dollars in commitments and with 75 percent cash and 25 percent of that in kind. So uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a different model than what we've seen before. But you're right. Getting I mean, the space community in Canada is a smaller community uh, and getting and there's only a few top level players and getting them to work with the smaller companies and getting them to all work together towards a common goal. And in this case, basically for the government, this is all about creating jobs um, and high, you know, highly qualified jobs. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see to see where this goes. I mean, the specific industries that, f- from what I understand, that they were uh, interested in for these super clusters, advanced manufacturing, agri-food, clean resources, clean technology, digital technology, health and biosciences, uh, infrastructure, and transportation. So uh, satellite isn't... satellites or space isn't really one of those, but it does encompass many of those. So it's going to be interesting to see... um, where this goes, it's it's pretty clear that Satellite Canada has an application and has momentum to actually submit something for uh, ISED to consider. Uh, whether they then get asked to then put in a full proposal, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but uh, it's it's going to be interesting. Um, Absolutely. Okay, so uh, recently um, Canada released its new uh, defense policy. Uh, I know this is an area where you have a lot of expertise on. Uh, I actually uh, did a podcast recently on um, space security, which touched on it. Uh, But it would be very interesting to hear uh, your thoughts on this new uh, defense policy. Yeah, so I mean, sort of like the uh, Space Advisory Board, uh, you know, the, the defense space policy, or actually, defense policy uh, was uh, a bit slow in uh, coming out, a little, little bit uh, delayed, but uh, you know, eventually it did uh, come out. And I think on on in, in general terms, I think a lot of people were sort of surprised. Um, I, I I I don't think, you know, this Trudeau government is is really that comparable to, you know. 
you know, uh, the, the Trudeau government from, you know, 20 years or so ago, you know, his, fa- his father's government you know, in terms of the, the, I'll say the perspective or, or how the military is sort of um, uh, perceived. So, so in, in a sense, the, the, you know, the new defense policy, I think, is, 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 is very ambitious. Um, it, it also includes lo- uh, a laundry list of, of, of a whole bunch of things. I, I think in general, they're, they're, they're pretty logical kind of things. Uh, but I think on the, spa- on, the, on the space side, what it really says is it actually just sort of uh, supports or reinforces investments that have been made in, in the past, um, you know, that are ongoing and, or that are going to be coming to fruition. So like Radar Sat Constellation Mission, hopefully is going to be launched uh, ne- next year, uh, you know, three ball uh, Constellation. Um, so that's been going on for uh, a number of years. And so it makes sense that under, you know, and of course, d- defense being one of the key stakeholders uh, for that system and, and, the, and the benefits it provides, it makes sense that, you know, there should be some mention of, you know, uh, you know, of support, you know, uh, it for it uh, going forward. Um, you know, also, you know, surveillance of space. Um, there, there was something uh, not too long ago, and, and my mind uh, is, is uh, is uh, tricking me here, but where it, somebody uh, really identified or brought forward the fact that Canada really should uh, think more about our space infrastructure as being critical infrastructure. And ah, it was a Senate so, report. That's it. That's it. And, and, and so, so this is something, you know, again, that that's, um, you know, when it's brought forward to major organizations and hopefully to in, in front of the public, they gain a, a greater appreciation. Of, oh, yeah, yeah, we are uh, very much, you know, dependent on on these systems, you know, and, and we have a lot of them. Right. And we have, have some some very key capabilities, you know, with with Telsat and, you know, you know, and, and companies like MDA and Earthcast and, and, and so forth. I mean, th- there is definitely a legacy of, of, of capabilities there that, you know, it makes sense to you know continue on the investment and and, and in some cases keep those uh, those capabilities uh, in there. So so the you know surveillance of space uh, mission of course is now is much uh, has a much higher profile uh, in 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 uh, in D uh, and so the you know the Sapphire satellite that was launched uh, a number of years ago um, it's. You know, it's sort of coming to the end of its uh, operational life. Though I think it'll probably it'll probably operate uh, beyond its expected uh, lifetime. But you know, the the the, the benefits that that uh, system has brought to the defense mission and then you know to the government of Canada uh, have have now you know sort of improved themselves. And so now it, it, it's an obvious thing to say. Well, we definitely want to make sure we still support that capability and that we have uh, some kind of roadmap uh, to, to you know to to get there. And then and then finally, you know, you know there obviously was wording that we wanted. To to support, you know, tactical, narrow band and wide band communications for Canada, you know, whatever, you know, Canadians are operating you know, militarily and but also specifically mentioned was in the north in, in the Arctic. So, uh, you know, so for, for certain companies that, you know, are, are interested in, in fielding, you know, uh, either big satellites or small constellations of satellites. I mean, that's really what they wanted to hear. And uh, do you know any information on the time-wise about these new RFIs that the D&D is supposed to put out with respect to some of these uh, systems that you're talking about? Well, uh, I mean, I don't really know anything specific. I mean, you hear a few things on the grapevines when you go to f- some of these uh, these conferences and, and, and stuff. So um, what you almost have to kind of look at, though, I mean, I mean this is one of the – I guess the the overt benefits of of having the policy out there is because now when the various uh, budget portfolio managers, let's just say in D and D, and they say, "Look, we only get this this much this much money," um, you know, what are we going to spend it on? And they say, "Well, 
you know, the government said we we need to support surveillance of space. So it actually then helps them say, well, well, now we can align our plans with what the government has just said is officially what they want, and that now and, and now we can move forward. So, so the problem is that you know some of those things, of course, have been waiting, right? They've been kind of waiting to have that official word of like, okay, this is in general what we're gonna we're gonna support. So as long as you guys can put your submissions in that wording, we're all covered, right? And so that's this is really what what they're doing right now is they're now you know you know pushing forward now those those programs those proposals. Uh, in the wording and in the, in the way that the government wants to, to see them and understand them. And then, you know, so, so I think probably uh, over the next uh, two or three years, uh, we, we'll see, see that movement, um, you know, beyond RCM, uh, radar constellation mission. I mean, as soon as that, well, even now, before, they're already talking about a follow-on system, right? So that has to, that actually has to be, has to be started now. It should probably should have been started uh, a few years ago. Um, but, but, but any of these kind of replacement capabilities with space systems, they take a while. Right, and so and so, it's, it's very important to get that um, you know to get that overt approval, and then to get the funding mechanisms internally to D and D going, so that they can 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 feel those capabilities in a timely manner. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, though, um, as we've seen with major programs, uh, notably F thirty five or replacements of the F eighteens. Replacement of new ships for the Navy, the big programs, uh, everything seems to get pushed back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, it'll be uh, interesting to see if there's any changes. I, through the grapevine, I've also heard that in, well, it would probably be this month, um, uh, if not early August, a couple of those RFIs, uh, including the fall, uh, including uh, one uh, for the new satellite, which I can't remember. Th- what they're calling it, uh, follow on to the uh, PCW, uh, is supposed to come out. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, hope, hope it does. Sorry? Hope it does. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, let's move on just a little bit to, to, to satellite servicing because, um, you know, this is a very interesting topic that goes back and forth. It, it's like a roller coaster. Um, uh, one minute it's it, it's something that's going to happen. The next minute, well, no, not going to happen. And now it looks like there seems to be some traction. Uh, it looks like uh, things are moving forward. Um, MDA has always been interested in this. Uh, and uh, through their U.S. subsidiary, uh, Space Systems Loral, they created uh, the Space Infrastructure Services Company uh, specifically for uh, uh, on-orbit servicing. Uh, and they actually even came out and said, we don't want to be the majority stakeholder in this. We want to be the minority stakeholder. Uh, and we want to build the spacecraft and provide the service. Uh, and they've actually followed through on that with uh, finance technology leverage of the states actually buying a uh, majority of, of that company. Uh, although uh, MDA still holds a stake in it, minority stake, and they're going forward with building these spacecraft. Uh, in particular, the um, uh, the program for the robotic servicing of geosynchronous satellites program for DARPA. Uh, and if I remember correctly, the first one of those sa- spacecraft is going to Construction is going to start soon, and then when it's done, this company, uh, Space Infrastructure Services, will actually use it uh, on it for a commercial purpose. Uh, however, there was a um, lawsuit that came forward from Orbital ATK against DARPA. Um, 
trying to, you know, saying that, you know, it was a Canadian company and it's competing with them, with the technology. We're already advanced on this stuff. Anyway, that lawsuit was thrown out on, uh, I think it was on uh, yesterday or the day before. So, uh, and from what I understand from MDA is that while this is a, you know, a program that's going to be in the U.S., uh, you know, this on-orbit servicing program where the spacecraft are going to be built there, um, you know, some of the work is actually going to uh, spread into Canada uh, to the Brampton facility. Uh, any thoughts on, on the topic of satellite servicing? Well, as I was mentioning before, you know, satellite servicing and, and in some respects, you know, space mining, but, you know, satellite, satellite uh, servicing is a technology, is a capability. I think it's, it's time has come. Um, we, we know that the geostationary belt is, is, is quite congested. We know that there's plans for, you know, thousands, hundreds and thousands of other space systems and, and, and LEO and, and, and a bunch of, and MEO, you know, they're over the next, you know, 10 or 20 years, they're going to be fielded. So the thing that that really means is, is that, you know, we really can't afford uh, not to have a capability where we can, you know, be there, maybe fix something if it looks like it's broken or remove something if it's not going to be able to, you know, be operational again. So so the time has come, you know, to, to make that capability a, a reality. And fortunately for MDA, you know, with, with their branded facility and, and their robotics uh, background, you know, they, they, they have that, that capability. So, you know, so with MDA, as, as, as you well, you know, you know, for a number of years now, they sort of been edging themselves into the the U.S. market. You know, going more or less from a more of a Canadian company to now more of a U.S. company. Um, you know, hoping to get into some of these key areas and and uh, getting some 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 larger uh, pieces of the pie, I guess, in in, in terms of, of money from the from the U.S. Uh, government. And and I think they they've in large part they've they've been successful uh, in, in doing that. Um, I mean, it'd be, it probably would be interested to be in sort of you know flying the wall in some of these uh, boardroom discussions there when they're you're, they're probably trying to uh, navigate their 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 way around the the U.S. regulatory uh, uh, you know framework and 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 you know so, so that they're still positioning themselves in a you know competitive manner, uh, but without being probably too over to say, hey, that's just a Canadian upstart coming into our market, right? So, so I, I mean, I don't know, but it, it almost sounds like you know, you know, by them having you know the the, the service set up and then them just to take a, a minority stake uh, in the service it was almost gonna say, well, you know what, you know, we're obviously bringing this to the table, but it's actually going to be an American company that's really in charge of this, right? We're just you know, we're just there kind of to you know to really bring the capability. So I wonder. I mean, that's that's totally my conjecture, but it, it you know that's what it kind of looks like. So. Did, I mean, do you view MDA as a U.S. company or as a Canadian company? Well, I mean, it depends who you talk to. You talk to uh, <laughs> any of the MDA people in Canada, say, "Well, hey, we're a Canadian company, we're a Canadian company." But I mean, you know, I mean, they, they have their uh, their U.S. arm, and and uh, you know, I would how, bet dimes how, dollars. How, that, how about uh, how about this? I mean, you know, they're not the first company to go into other markets that are larger than their domestic market to make an impact. So. And those are generally called, you know, especially if they're going to a third market, multinationals. So isn't, isn't, wouldn't it be safe to describe MDA as a multinational company that has operations in Canada, has operations in the UK, has operations in uh, the US, uh, and but of course, uh, has significant uh uh, presence in the U.S. As a matter of fact, they have 4,800 employees. I think uh, 
1,800 of those are in Canada. So that means 3,000 are in the U.S. primarily and some in the U.K. and a few others elsewhere. So, yeah, so they have a significant uh, presence in the U.S. And, of course, if the acquisition of Digital Globe goes through, which it looks like it will, you're talking maybe adding another 2,000 uh, uh, employees, a good proportion of those being in the U.S. Digital Globe has offices in several other countries uh, uh, around the world. So we're, we're talking about a company that went from a domestic market that was limited to wanting to expand, doing so on the international scene and and with Digital Globe adding even more uh, countries to, to the portfolio, if you will, uh, of where they're located. Isn't this a really, truly a multinational company? I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, you definitely have to look at them uh, that way. And I think you, you've also identified correctly that, you know, MDA, I mean, been around for for a while. I mean, they were looking at the local market, the domestic market, and say, we can't get our stakeholder, we're, sorry, we can't get our shareholders uh, to there within this environment. We have to do something different. And, and that's the decision that, that they made. And I think that it was, it was the correct decision uh, to make. Where it comes back, well, you know, for, for us, it's like, okay, well, you know, Canada did invest uh, money in MDA for certain kinds of technology, robotic technology, you know, being one. So the question that you have to ask is like, well, did Canada, has Canada got its return on that investment so that now, you know, we really shouldn't have a problem if MDA is able to, you know, leverage that, that, that expertise uh, to go into the international market? And well, whatever. I'm, uh, how, how, do no, you, how do you quantify that? I mean, if one of those measures is jobs, well, I mean, because it is, uh, if you've got 1,800 employees in Canada and, you know, and if let's say that fluctuates normally, you know, with attrition, people leaving, whatnot, uh, if you're still creating jobs is what I'm saying, then are you not showing some return on that investment? Well, I think you're right. I mean, if, if, as long as jobs are being created uh, or there or is, maintained. you know, or, or maintained or some other way that, you know, that GDP level that the government loves now is, is or, or that they look at is, 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 you know, increasing, you know, the way that they want, they want it to, then yeah, great. Then they're, it, it's, it's, it's going in that direction. But, you know, I mean, to, in reality, I think the commercial sector uh, tends to see things really the way they are, right? They, they can, they can really see it, uh, I think in black and white and not, you know, you know the government. I think, in, in a sense, that they operate with some kind of rosy glasses and say, "Well, it just doesn't seem right." You know that uh, you know MDA should go south of the border, or this company X should, uh, you know, you know take its jobs. I say, "Well, you know what? You know, you, people's lives are, 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 you know, they have to pay, you know, for people's jobs, and those those people have families, and, and where so." I mean, it makes sense that the companies have to do what they've got to do, regardless of what you know what the government thinks is you know feels right. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, commercial companies know exactly what uh, what's ahead of them. Um, if they don't bring in revenue, then uh, they won't be around. So, uh, yeah. and, 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 and and Mark, the, the the other thing to thing to keep in mind because I see this a lot in the in the advisory board minutes as well is you can't have it both ways. You know, you can't have a Canada a Canada first. Uh, perspective and, and expect all the money to be spent in Canada, and you can't expect at the same time to have to leverage all those partnerships and, and to be able to uh, compete in other uh, international markets. I mean, it, there has to be a balance, but you can't have both. You, you can't have both. 
And, and let's not forget, I mean, part of the government's job uh, is actually to take domestic companies and their products and market them internationally. So uh, that's a measure of, uh, you know, what the government's trying to do uh, and to, so that these commercial entities can, you know, increase uh, the bottom line and hopefully uh, create new jobs within Canada, though. Um, okay, so going on to uh, our, our last topic here, uh, we'll just briefly touch it. Uh, so the U.S., uh, President Trump and his new administration has reconstituted the National Space Council. Vice President Pence is the head of this new uh, National Space Council. And last week, uh, he actually uh, paid a visit to the uh, Kennedy Space Center, uh, where some people were thinking he might actually announce a new administrator. But basically, it was a rah-rah speech, uh, and uh, which actually did uh, include uh, – uh, a push for uh, going to the moon, uh, but of course didn't mention any money. Um, and just uh, last night, the White House announced that um, uh, Scott Pace, who's well-respected uh, in space policy circles uh, and who's the director of space policy at the uh, George Washington University, would be the executive secretary of the new uh, National Space Council. So... You know, think of it like a space advisory board, but maybe on a higher level. I don't know. Um, reporting directly to, you know, the vice president, who then obviously reports to the president. Um, what do you think of, of this idea of a National Space Council? And, and do you think it's actually going to go anywhere? Well, I mean, here's here's the real problem. Well, actually, two, two main problems, and you've you really kind of identified one of them, is that, you know, even though it's it's it stood up, uh, you've got the vice president as, as the head, but you know the buck of what really is going to happen is going to stop you know at, at at Trump. And if you know Trump has a good day, that might be good for the for the space council. Is a bad day, maybe not so much. So that's one thing. The other thing is is that you know the the the, the space council that they 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 set up is not the first time, right? It's not the first time it's been set no, up, and no. it's, and it's not and it's not the first time. Or sorry, it's it's it, the ones in the past have been disbanded, right? So once you once you have sort of that uh, history, I mean, that's what can happen. I mean, you know, look what happened to the FBI director. You know, he thought he had a job, and then he didn't have a job, right? So it's it's kind of hard to tell whether that that, that you know standing up this. Uh, I mean, visibility is always good, but if you're if, if it comes out that you are not really actually able to affect anything in a positive direction, and we don't know that because they just they just started, uh, it's it's just it's it's a question to to know, like, you know, how much are their hands tied in terms of what they can and cannot do? The other thing to consider uh, also is that uh, at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, um, even if you have a National Space Council that comes up with uh, advice and plans, which then go to the White House and the White House says, make it so, um, you know, the funding actually has to be approved by Congress. And Congress... uh, especially on the, the, the space side of things, uh, definitely uh, has its own ideas of uh, how things should be funded. Uh, and surprisingly, uh, in the last uh, couple of years, uh, has been working somewhat in bipartisan fashion to actually keep the um, uh, 
space programs, uh, both military and civil, uh, funded at levels that they think are appropriate, even uh, putting in more money than actually the White House is, is uh, uh, requested and actually keeping funding for certain programs that the White House would have liked to have, have, have uh uh, removed. Uh, of course, at, at the same time, uh, you know, Congress also has to uh, support their constituents. So that's why you'll see uh, things like the space launch system, uh, even though uh, it has a lot of issues, it's really expensive. Uh, and there are commercial capabilities coming along that might be equal or better to to, to what it is, uh, you'll still see programs like that uh, get funding because, well, there's a lot of jobs in in some of these uh, uh, districts uh, uh, of people who actually serve on, you know, the various uh, committees. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, when it comes down to it, right, it's like, you know, depending on who's saying what, it, it, it's almost like, well, whose opinion uh, really matters uh, to the president of of what uh, space activity is going to get invested in, or what space activity is going to happen, uh, or or not. I mean, the SLS is 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 a, a good, almost scary example. I, I think not too long ago, uh, Trump had uh, announced that the initial flight of the SLS was going to have, be a crewed flight. Now, I think since then he's he's backed off on that. Maybe, maybe not that not that long ago. Well, I don't uh, think it, it wasn't. Uh, President Trump that actually came out with that, that that was actually something that NASA, um, I, I believe, had previously uh, considered, um, but, you know, not not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and I think rightfully it should not, right? I mean, you definitely want to have some some testing before you put uh, real, uh, you know, bodies in, in potential danger there. So anyway, but, uh, you know, the point is, is that, you know, how much of, a, of, of an impact is 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 Trump himself just going to have say well yeah okay I get this counsel just cast this well I don't I don't like that I'm going to I want you to do this what well, are they going to do if he is to believe um, you know a push to get humans to Mars uh, will happen uh, and and even land on Mars will happen during his administration so. Um, that one is, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't see that happening. Uh. <laughs> well, actually, and then there's well, actually there's some just out in the space news today that said that they NASA doesn't think they have the money to get anybody there in like. Oh yeah, but that, that that's something that uh, everybody's known for f- forever. It's, it's been the unwritten, uh, un you know rule is that you know you want to go to Mars, you got to pay for it. Well, of course, you know the the budgets haven't been providing enough funding to actually get there at this point. So uh, that. That doesn't come as, as a surprise. The fact that they actually said it, ah, now there might be some political nuance to that in in, in of itself. You're probably right. <laughs> okay, we're going to leave it there. Uh, I want to thank you, Wayne, for, for being my guest today. Uh, I think uh, we'll, we'll get you back in, in the near future uh, and, and do another one of these uh, uh, current event uh, catch-ups. Uh, there's always something interesting happening, and uh, uh, it's great to, to get your perspective. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, and this is really a, a really fun time. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Wayne. That's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube Podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spacecube.ca, or you can post them on our website at spacecube.ca, where you'll find an archive of each episode. You can also find Space Cube on Twitter at Canada in Space. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider rating the show and writing a review if you're so inclined.